We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I love you guys so much. I'm just so glad to be here. Um, Luke chapter 10. Let's pray. Uh, God, wherever the nature of the Lord is spoken of, there you are present. So be present here, Jesus. Um, even if this sermon doesn't feel like it directly applies to what we're walking through, equip us for, what, for the next season or even in the midst of this season in what you would have. And God, maybe just a, a, a side remark for me, God, would that be an encouragement uh, to somebody in the midst of what they're walking through? Uh, God, pray for students and teachers going back to school this week or next. That God, your hand would just be upon them in a powerful way uh, this year. That there would be connections with uh, connections made that change kids' lives uh, forever. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our question with this series, love the 330 and church, what is, our three, what is the 330? Okay, good. It's not a Bible verse. It's the area code. Let's start there, right? Uh, the question is, can we see where we live? Can we see the 330 as it is, its glories and its shames, and love it at the very same time? I mean, Northeast Ohio does have a lot going for it, but more often than not, we, we have an imagination for what it doesn't have going on for it. Poverty, addiction racism, joblessness, gaps in education. Um, a lot of you are teachers, so we have a lot of those conversations. Some of you work in public policy, we work and have those conversations. There's brain drain. I mean, sometimes I walk into a restaurant and I'm like the only person under 60, do you know what I mean? And so we unpacked the idea last week that loving the 330 requires us to become common good Christians, Christians devoted to the common good, just like in Jeremiah 29, 7, where it says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare or in its prosperity, you will find your prosperity. And I was really interested to preach this sermon at both of our campuses because one, I, I preached to predominantly people over 50 and that this one predominantly people under 50. Um, and I was interested to see how that idea of exile would resonate, of being even in the midst of a city that a lot of us grew up in and are here for, a city that is unrecognizable to us. And there's not one person that doesn't resonate with this idea that we're kind of in exile from this town that we knew. I mean, I grew up in Cortland. I, I sometimes feel an exile simply because I live in Champion. Do you know what I mean? And uh, that's funny uh, because there's a thing there, um, but evidently not that funny. So, <laughs> so God says to those of us in exile, stay where you are, stay put. He says, don't, dwin don't dwindle away. Uh, show up, do your job, live according to your principles, and seek the welfare of the city. And that, that drives a lot of our ministry in terms of our one things and, and how we serve others. But at the very same time, we don't just seek the common good of our community. We also seek the spiritual revival of our neighborhoods and our city and our county. Loving the 330 means then not only just caring and doing good things, it also means following after God's heart which is for those who do not yet know. You know, we used to say all the time that the most important person in the room is the person that's not here yet. And we've kind of given up on that language because it makes it feel like if you just worked really hard to get into the room and like built up that courage to walk into this building, we're like, well, thank you, next thing, like next notch in our belt. I have, I'm still wrestling with letting it go because I want us to keep in front of us that God's heart is for those who do not yet know. That even though we are, love those on the inside, we cannot we cannot, we cannot forget that God's heart is for those who do not yet know. And so loving and fo loving the three hero means following God's heart for those who don't yet know him. In other words, we just got to a sermon on our favorite topic, evangelism. 
I almost got like a track of like the trombone, like because listen, I've been, a, I've been a Christian my whole life. Um, I was raised in a youth group that taught the Bible. I was raised in a church that taught the Bible. I have an undergrad degree in ministry. I have a master's degree in ministry. And because I'm bored, I'm getting another master's degree in ministry. So I have sat through lecture after lecture and talk after talk and sermon after sermon on sharing your faith. And every single one of them left me feeling defensive, left me feeling guilty, left me feeling anxious, left me feeling inadequate, because here's how every one of those sermons goes. Here's three things that you need to say to your unbelieving friend. I was in this thing called Youth EE, and Walter and Rita know what I'm talking about. You memorized an outline, uh, you memorized an outline, and a kid would come to youth group and very innocently fill out like this card with their information. And on Sunday night, there's Kyle knocking on the door with his friends to come in, come bowling into their house to me- kind of recite this outline that we'd memorized to help a person accept the gospel. And let me tell you what, I guarantee you while we were in that room, somebody had an encounter with God. What the encounter was, dear God, please let my house catch on fire so these people will leave. <laughs> right? Walter Reed has seen some fruit. I have seen some fruit, but a lot of the people we worked with just looked stricken. And they look stricken because you're stricken, because you don't know what to say. I I mean, again, it's that Ron Burgundy or the the Talladega Knights, like, I don't know what to do with my hands moment, right? I mean, studies show that very, very few Christians share their faith, and even fewer, even fewer see any fruit from that. And so we pay it done because we're we're not sure that we're qualified. We're not sure we, we know what to say. But loving the 330 means following after God's heart. And here's the good news. We worship a Jesus who is active in our lives long before we ever know. See, this is where we get the cart before the horse, so to speak, or we get everything about evangelism upside down, because the sermon very quickly goes to, these are the things that you should be doing in order to turn the conversation that you're having towards spiritual things which is always awkward. You know, my, my go-to is when the waiter comes and fills up your glass, you say, did you know that Jesus is the living water and if you drink of him, you'll never thirst again? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I, John Christ is a Christian comedian that you need to be following on Instagram. He's hilarious, especially if, you're, if you've been in the church your whole life. He's just so good at making fun of Christians. And he did this little like pastor's one-liners about the solar eclipse. Like all of y'all are excited about the lunar eclipse, but all of y'all need a heart, mind, and solar eclipse if you know what I'm talking about. You know, stuff like that. And uh, you know, by the way, watch your eyes tomorrow. Don't look directly at it. We'd love for you to be able to see for the rest of your life. Anyway, um, and so uh, there's this sense where we put the cart before the horse. We, We don't and it comes about us, and where we need to start with is that long before you ever, ever knew, God was at work in your life. Long before you were even aware, God was active in his grace in your life and extending it to you. And here's why that's important. First of all, you're not the smart one or the righteous one for getting your crap together and coming to church. You're the one that God extended his grace to so that you could know him. This is not a work of righteousness. This is you being stricken by grace, if we want to use that word stricken again. But the other good news of this is is that when it comes to sharing our faith with people, it's not figuring out how do I turn this conversation about spiritual things so I can share with them this strategy. It's more and more this. It's having eyes that are open for God working in a person's life and coming alongside that thing. I mean, the God that we worship today, and I hope this is an encouragement to you, was at work long before your life started, 
Uh, it says that he chose you in him from before the foundations of the world. Wrestle with this theological thing on your own. In him, he predestined us for adoptions as sons and daughters. I mean, before the foundations of the world, God knew your name and chose you to be a part of his family. And so it's not about drumming that up. It's about sensing where the Holy Spirit is working and coming alongside. It's about being an encouragement in the midst of that. And so the way that we do this is what we call the people of peace strategy. And, and I'll be honest, I've been learning a lot from a church out of Fort Wayne that is really doing this. The people of peace strategy is something that Steph and I accidentally did when we were starting Regen. And it was never about us starting conversation in this. It was us being us to people that God put in our path who he was working in already. And in Luke chapter 10, uh, this is where Jesus gives us the people of peace strategy. My goal today is that we're just gonna go to school. I'm gonna equip you with some stuff that I hope this year helps us, helps us love the 330 as we follow God's heart. Because my prayer, whenever we go to these things, when we go to McGuffey, when we go to Summit, when uh, we're gonna do the recovery rally in September, we do those things, my prayer is always that we would meet people of peace that we would meet people of peace. And, and a disclaimer, because I love you, do not say to me this afternoon at the picnic, I was really challenged in your sermon to become a person of peace. Because if you say that, I will throw you in the pool. Okay, this sermon is not about you becoming a person of peace. It is about identifying and sharing the gospel with people of peace. It is about coming alongside them. Does that make sense? So let's look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. The Lord now chose... 72 other disciples. Now, by other disciples, why does it say that? Because he chose 12, and now he's choosing an additional 72. Uh, the, he chose 72 disciples, other disciples, and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any extra money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live in there are peaceful, the blessing will stand, and if they're not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. This is the second text in a row in the series that, it, that God's command was stay in one place. I don't know if that's significant or not, but it resonated with last week. I thought that was interesting. Stay in one place. Oh, see, now I had to make something comment and then I lost my place. Verse seven, stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out in the streets and say, we wipe even the dust of you of, of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to our, your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town as you on judgment day. That's sassy Jesus at the end of that passage. Jesus' people of peace strategy begins as everything must begin. It begins with prayer. And Jesus gives them a prayer Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out more workers into his harvest field. As the people of Jesus, we confuse this. We, we, can, we forget that the harvest is great and the workers are few. What we often think is that the harvest is few, but the workers are great. That who is left to reach, I don't really know. And I experienced that there's the scarcity mentality really that comes in. 
There's this scarcity mentality that all the other churches are reaching them. I mean, listen, here's my story. There's a church in town called The Movement. I don't know if you've heard of them. Vanessa was on staff there for a while. Um, uh, Doug's a great guy. They're doing amazing work, reaching a lot of people in their 20s who don't know Jesus. And so God calls Steph and Kyle to start a new community for people in their 20s who don't know Jesus. So people ask us what we're doing. Hey, what do you, you guys, well, we're, we're passionate about starting a new community for 20-somethings that don't know about Jesus. And every person, do you know what they said? Hey, have you ever heard of the movement? As if to say, I don't know if that's really needed because they've reached all the 20-somethings there are to reach. And after about six months, I, I love the movement. It's nothing about them. I was ready to drop kick the next person that said, hey, have you ever heard of the movement? Yes. Yes, I have. I have heard of them. I am aware of their existence. Yes. But here's the deal. Nine out of 10 people in our county have no relationship with the church. Nine out of 10. And, and I'll tell you when I feel emotionally overwhelmed about this. It, every Regen is a church for every generation, but we've said from the beginning, we're really clear about reaching the next generation because that's the generation our churches aren't reaching. And, uh, and, and, and some people, I mean, Walter and Rita have been with us from day one, day one. And I mean, they're obviously over 29, right? I mean, just outside of our age bracket. Um, and, and here's the deal. Uh, that's who we've been called to reach. And when I sit in Chipotle and Starbucks, that, that thing in Niles, don't tell me that all of those 20-somethings walking in and out of that, all of them are going to a church. Don't tell me that. It's what we do as a community is we believe that the work, that the, the harvest isn't plentiful. So what we spend most of our time doing is trading sheep with other churches. Because there's going to come a day where you're going to get mad at me and want to go to another church. Because it's easier to go to another church than to tell me about it. And that's up to you but I wish you would tell me about it. Um, and, and, and so we swap all these people and churches grow because everybody moved from this one to this one to this one. I don't care about that. What I'm really passionate about are the people, frankly, even though they're not in the room, like Zach and Jenna, who had no connection with the church before we started this. That's who we're about because we follow after God's heart for those who do not yet know. And so the, it, the scarcity mentality says there's nobody to reach. Uh-uh. The scarcity mentality in your mind says there's nobody really around me that doesn't know Jesus yet. That is so false. The scarcity mentality is, the opposite of that scarcity mentality is to pray, God, identify the harvest around me. God, when I go to work, um, when, when I'm with my family, help me have eyes to see those people who do not, do not yet know you. Help me to see them. So Jesus begins with this prayer. By the way, don't, you should write in your Bible, don't pray this unless you mean it. Let me tell you why. The, the disciples that pray this prayer are the very disciples that are sent out. See, we think we're praying this prayer. Pray to the Lord that he would send out other people to do the work. and eh, he sends you, right? So he, send, he gives them this prayer, and then he does this really interesting thing. He sends them out two by two, which I have seen the, the Book of Mormon musical. So like in my head, I'm going like two by two, we're going door to door because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Like, um... Because um, Mormons go out to my, guys, it's a great, it's a great show that you will feel very sinful for going to watch. Um, this is the sermon of, of personal revelations from Kyle, because there's other big ones coming later. So he sends them out two by two, because whatever we do as the people of Jesus, we do together. Whatever we do as the people of Jesus, we do together, because ministry is hard. Loving people is hard. And, and listen, uh, you need somebody else with you in that. I'm thankful for my wife because if it had been left to Kyle to plant Regen by himself, you would have to find him like on a beach in Mexico weeping, right? Like running, running from his call. 
God gives us community so that we can do what we do together. That's why we insist on teams. That's why we, and because when you're on a team, you're supported. And not only when you're on a team, you're supported, you're also discipled. Because when you're doing this work together, you're challenging one another, you're encouraging one another. It's really important. Whatever we do, we do together. There are no heroes. There are no lone rangers in the body of Christ. There, there are no lone rangers in the body of Christ. Um, again, in the Book of Mormon, they're sent out two by two, and the main character, Elder Price, um, uh, there's a song that he sings called, You and Me, But Mostly Me Are Gonna Change the World Forever. <laughs> and that's what we think, right? You and me, but mostly me. And, and one of the lines is, every, every hero needs a sidekick, every captain has a mate, and every dinner needs a side dish on a slightly smaller plate. Okay, my wife is not my side dish. On my side, she's not my sidekick. We're 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 equal. Side dish can also mean something culturally that it definitely does not mean as well. So, there's that fun moment. You can you know look that up on that Urban Dictionary if you don't know what that means. But you're you're my main dish there, girl. So, um, what's funny about it is that's our mentality though. Is that see we're gone now. Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that we have this mentality that like I'm the hero, somebody else, and there are no heroes. What we do, we do together. What we do, we do as a community. And, and maybe you don't have a spouse that can function with you on that. The question is, who's the person I can be calling and praying with about this? This is why we have Bible studies. This is why we have small groups because we need that community to help us as we make disciples together. Um, it's really important. So Jesus teaches them pray, sends them out two by two. So first of all, be praying about who's in your harvest field. Second of all, who's on your team? It's a good question to reflect about. And then Jesus does this thing. He sends his disciples out in vulnerability. Look at what he does, these verses where he says, remember I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. See, we have this sense when it comes to sharing our faith that we have to have our crap together. We have to have all the answers. We have to know the right things, because if I'm asked a question, I can't say, God forbid I say, I don't know the answer to that. So I, I'm not going to share my faith because I might find myself in a position that I won't know how to say. And Jesus says, none of that matters. Jesus says, your vulnerability, your lack of understanding, your not knowing is a good thing. Your not knowing is a good thing. You're sent out as lambs among wolves. Not because there's wolves, big bad wolves licking their chops to see you, you know, to come and devour you, but because the world accomplishes its purposes with strength and we accomplish ours in weakness and vulnerability. The best gift you can give a friend who asks you a question is, I don't know, and under the table, you're like texting me, like, oh my gosh, this person, I, I field these questions all week. Somebody just said to me, da, 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 is that true? That's why I'm here. But maybe, sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I don't respond right away because I like to see you sweat. I'm just kidding. <laughs> because you don't need Kyle, you need the Spirit of God. You don't need Kyle, you need Jesus. And I guarantee you, if you say I don't know to a genuine question about your faith, the world does not stop. Because we have this sense that if, if I don't answer that question the right way, this person spent an eternity in hell because I screwed up. Jesus, Jesus can cover that. So embrace your vulnerability, be praying, and then, and then be on the lookout for people of peace. It's not about us, it's not about our ability, it's not about what we know, it's about prayerfully in, in relationship with other people seeking out people of peace. Jesus says in verse five, whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. This is Jewish law, that if I was a Jew and I knocked on another Jewish person's door and I said, shalom, 
they had to welcome me in, they had to keep me for the night, and they had to feed me. So Jesus is kind of taking advantage of the culture. He says, if those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. And if they're not, the blessing will return. Don't move from home to home. Stay in one place. Eat and drink what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. We live in an an incredibly anxious world. We live in an incredibly, incredibly anxious world. And I never saw that more clearly than the other night when there was that tornado warning. And I, we, we turned on the news, and there's like two guys on WKBN that are like, it's coming now! You know what I mean? Like, at one point he says, you should be moving to your basement. You should be moving to an interior room. You should be going somewhere where there's no windows. If you have kids, get them bike helmets so the glass doesn't hit their heads. I mean, it was like intense, you know? And I'm kind of just sitting there watching TV like, I think it's going to be okay, right? We live in this super anxious world. People of peace are those who have this byproduct of the kingdom's invasion is peace, that peace is already kind of upon them and upon their house because God behind the scenes is already working. And so God puts people of peace in your path. My big prayer anymore is God, help me to meet somebody that's a person of peace. Went to my high school reunion. God, pray that I would meet people of peace here. When you go to work this year, teachers are going back to school. God, help me to meet people of peace this year. And I want to give you three ways to recognize people of peace. Write them down, memorize them, whatever you need to do. Three ways to recognize people of peace. First, people of peace welcome you into their homes and into their lives. People of peace welcome you into their homes and into their lives. Listen, we live in a pretty shuttered world. Our, our, in our neighborhood, like Steph and I are bad at this. We don't really, partic- we don't neighbor. Like, there's a guy from Grace Campus across the street, a, guy, a woman and her husband I used to go to church with when I was on staff at first. But we don't really neighbor. We're, we we kind of go home, we close the garage door, we go inside, we lock the door. That's kind of what we do. And yet, people of peace, this is how we know God's working in their lives because people of peace go against that cultural grain and welcome us into their home and into their lives. A few weeks ago, Steph and I were running around those scrappers tickets that we all went to the game with. We had to drop them off at places. And uh, it was the end of the day. Um, I was really tired. I just wanted to go home. And a couple invited us into their home when we dropped off the tickets. And all Kyle wanted to do was like, go home. But I was like, people of peace invite us into their homes and into their lives. So we went and sat on their couch and small talk for 20 minutes, and then we came home. A couple months ago, I got invited to an event um, from somebody, somebody that I didn't really know super well, said, hey, we're having this thing. You should come to this. And I was like, that feels a little weird. I don't know you super well. Should I go? I don't know. I text somebody else. Should we go? I don't, and, uh, and they just texted back, people of peace. This person was inviting me into their life. And so we went to the event. And we have this thing as a culture where when somebody comes on too fast, we're like, whoa, 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 Skippy. Like, flirt with me before you take me on a date. You know what I mean? Like, when people, when people get up in our lives, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But that's a sign of a person of peace because they're welcoming us into their home. They're welcoming us into their lives. Sec- so first, they welcome us into their homes and lives. Second, they seek to serve you or to show you hospitality. They seek to serve you or to show you hospitality. Again, you might be, there you are putting your mulch out and one of your neighbors is like, hey there, I'll help you. And you're like, whoa, but I got this. Whoa, don't do that. Why? Because people of peace seek to serve you. People of peace seek to show you hospitality. A couple months ago, we were at my high school reunion. A classmate I have not seen in many years offers to buy me a glass of wine. Alert, your pastor drinks wine. Sorry about that, but that's true. So, he, uh, he offers to buy me a glass of wine. And what did I do? I was like, no, 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 no. I'll buy it. Don't worry. Da, da, da. We go down. I buy my own glass of wine. I shouldn't have done that. 
Why? Because people of peace seek to serve you and show you hospitality. Should have let them buy me the glass of wine. See what I'm saying? We, we had them over for dinner after that because we felt like we connected and um, we had them over to our house and, and they, they said a funny thing. They were like, listen, like we, we don't have people over our house. Like we just don't, we kind of got a dog that's a little weird. And blah, blah, blah. But they said, we would love to come over again. That is them inviting us into their lives and into their, basically kind of in a roundabout way, inviting us into their home a little bit. Like we can't come to our home, but we'd love to come to your home and we'll bring the food, you know? And so, so people of peace seek to serve you or to show you hospitality. By the way, you eat what they put in front of you, which meant when I was in England eating blood sausage. Do you know what that is? It's sausage made out of blood. It's gross. Um, but I ate it. Third, people of peace seek to listen to you or they ask you for your advice. People of peace listen to you or ask you for your advice. You're going to have a person come to you and they're going to like say, hey, here's this thing going on in my life. Blah, 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 blah. And you're like, what is your first instinct? Okay, oversharing. Over, that's, that's your thing. Don't, you know, because I'll be honest, clingy people, nothing makes me like have a like, reaction like clingy people. Like I will see them coming and I'm like, kind of go over here now. Do you know what I mean? I hate clingy people. Um, clingy people are people of peace. What we determine as clingy is what people of peace are. And if somebody wants to, your advice, somebody, somebody needs your advice, or somebody simply says, will you pray for us? That is a person of peace. And the answer is, yes, I will pray for you on the phone right now, or we were texting, so I wrote a little prayer and I sent it back to you. And then a couple days later, I'm checking in about that thing that you asked me to pray for. Does that make sense? For us, this people seeking to listen to us often takes the shape of pre-marriage. We do a lot of pre-marriage and marriage counseling, a ton. And there are people in our house, and we give them an assessment. I'm looking around. Lindsay and Mitch did this. Danny Kate did this. Um, here's this assessment that digs in deep into your life, and we get to talk about all your problems now for six or eight weeks while you sit on my couch. It's delightful. But people of peace seek to listen to us, and we keep doing weddings, and people keep saying, yeah, give us this input. So they, seek, they welcome you to their homes or their lives. They seek to serve you or show you hospitality. They listen to you or ask you for your advice. When I heard about this, too, there was a... Uh, this is over in Fort Wayne, friends of ours, uh, who moved into their neighborhood and invited everybody to a barbecue. Every neighbor. They went up and down the street, wrote down their names, hand wrote them invitations, mailed them. They all, all these people, like 60 people come over for dinner. Everybody leaves except one couple who helps to stay and clean up. Those are people of peace. We do this thing in our culture, don't serve, no, 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 don't do that, da, da, da. And in very few occasions, I'll say, no, it's not your job to serve right now. But for more than more, we need to be saying, yes, you, you, you can, of course you can do the dishes. See what I'm saying? So three ways to engage with people of peace. First, memorize the book of Romans so that you can recite it to them at will. No, three things. This is easy. You, you, you got to do you. You do you. You know what I'm saying? Um, my bishop, Bishop Malone, from the floor of annual conference, it's like 90 degrees in the auditorium we're at, maybe 100. It's hot. And there's all the conference staff like in suits and ties. And so somebody makes a motion from the floor. Why don't you guys, you guys can dress casual. It's so hot. And the bishop goes, you know what? You do you. You know, you do you. You got to be who you is, right? Jesus doesn't need you to be anybody but who you is. Um, but, but three ways to be who you is. First of all, this is Maya Angelou. People will never remember what you say and they'll never remember what you do, but they will always remember the way you made them feel. 
People will never remember what you say and they'll never remember what you do, but they'll always remember the way you made them feel. I guarantee you that your favorite teacher from elementary school, you can't remember things that you did in their classroom, but you remember how they made you feel, right? I remember how my second grade teacher, Mrs. Maisie, made me feel. Um, that's great, right? I remember how my seventh grade English teacher, Mrs. Cook, made me feel. People will never remember what you say, They'll never remember what you do, but they'll always remember the way you make them feel. So how do you be you? How do you be kind and gracious and loving in your tone and your conversation with a look in your eye that says, I'm glad to be with you? That's one. The second is people are not interested in what you have to say, but they are interested in what you have to ask. So you got this person who's oversharing about their life to you and da 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 da. Here's a great question. How is God getting your attention? Kyle has one question anymore. If you meet with me for coffee, if you're in my staff meeting, if you're in a board meeting, uh, if you're in a small group with me, my question is what? How's God getting your attention? Here's a, this is why this is a really helpful question for your friends that don't know Jesus. First of all, it's telling them that God is interested in getting their attention. Church, right now, God is trying to get your attention. And all week, he is trying to get your attention. Not just for the hour on Sunday and the hour in Bible study and the hour and the, and the 15 minutes, maybe a couple days a week that you start your day by kind of reading something on the Bible app. Every day, every moment, God is trying to get your attention with something. Another great question, especially when someone is like sharing with you hard stuff, is to ask them this, well, what are your questions? What are your questions? I love that because everybody's always walking around with like 18 questions. Mom gets diagnosed with cancer. I'm really wondering why God would allow this. I'm really wondering what I'm gonna do if she dies. I'm really wondering what I need to do about this. What are your questions? People are more interested in what you have to say than what you have to ask. They're not interested in this faith conversation turning into you preaching at them. What question can you ask is better than what can you say? One of my favorite, what is your faith background like? Well, what's Jesus to you? The last is you need to practice the art of the yes and. Yes and. It's an improv thing, Com improv comedy. It's all about yes and. I was very bad at improv because every little thing is a mini surprise and I hate surprises. Um, the yes and is the art of whatever the other actor puts down, you say yes and and carry the plot forward. Ring, ring, big bird's calling. They'd like to talk to you about how you just want to cruise. You don't say, I don't want to cruise, thank you. You don't say, that's impossible, Big Bird's dead. Like you don't, you know what I'm saying? Like you always, you always say yes and, yes, hello Big Bird, I would love to go to the Caribbean, right? Like you, you a bad, a violation of the yes and principle was when this person offered to buy me a drink and I told them no. I should have said yes and we'd love to have you, let me buy you a drink but this time you can come over to our house. Yes and, the next thing. Does that make sense? There's this little interesting verse in, at verse 16, that's gonna really let you off the hook. He said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. See, this is the real fear that we have is somebody's gonna reject us and I'm gonna feel weird and what am I gonna do with that? And Jesus says, yo, listen, it's not about you. If they don't care, if they, if they spit in your face, if they get rude, which by the way, has never happened to me, she says, it's not about you. So you can kind of share freely knowing that this is about them and Jesus and you're just coming alongside prayerfully. Maybe you're inviting them into a community. Whatever we do, we do together. 
vulnerably. I don't really know the answer to that. I'd love to figure that out with you. You see them. It's not about you. Guys, there's so much freedom in this. This is what it means to love the 330. This is what it means for us as a church to kind of move from a development, uh, from a consumer culture to a development culture where it's not about, well, this is Kyle, what we pay you to do. Now, this is what you pay me to teach you, right? This is, this is about you bringing Jesus to people. So let me pray. God, I pray that you would help us find people of peace in our own lives. God, that you would uh, show us those people who are seeking out relationship and inviting us into their lives so that we could point them to Jesus. So we do pray that you would break our hearts for what breaks your heart that you would help us see people the way you see people and that you would help us to point them to Jesus today. In Christ's name, amen.